if your timing of the bottom of the pedal stroke at six o'clock point is, is off, you're losing some efficiency there. So that's my spiel on Excellent. cops. No, it makes it makes it. I love sense. cops. Don't get me wrong. Bad boy, bad boy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Being slouches with. Stitch. A, a big slouch. The, the, the biggest, biggest slouch of them all. Yeah, the biggest slouch. Holding down the middle cushion here. I am Coach Dale Sanford. I am Coach Bryant Funston. We are co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping time crunch athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. Every BPC coach is trained in our five pillars coaching system that has been developed the last decade through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels from fresh off the couch. To the world championship competitor you can find out more about bbc by going to buildpeakcompete.com checking facebook and youtube at build peak compete and instagram at bpc performance bam nailed it nailed it i mean that's probably the best one yet i think it was i mean we could just like build that as part of the intro and then you wouldn't have to read it every time. We could we could actually like cut, cut to it. We might just, just have it? to do that as a video <laughs> and cut to it, so I don't have to say it every time. <laughs> I don't know. You're getting better and better, though. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. Uh, little business here before we get going. Great topic. By Hot the way. topic today. Hot topic. Something Hot topic. We talked a lot about bike fit. We're talking issues yeah. and bike fitting in general. Yeah, bike. Most common bike fitting issues that we see. Uh, we fit a lot of bikes. Or I fit a lot of bikes and. Over 250 now. We were uh, we were just tallying. Well, those are the ones that we have, that have data, data on. on. There were t- there was a time early on that I did not collect data on the bikes I was fitting. Mm-hmm. Probably a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've overridden a lot of data on people who've like brought new bikes in. They don't own the bike anymore. So it's probably maybe 300 or so bikes over the last 10 years. Um, increasingly more. Yep. But um, we have a giveaway. Yes. Who doesn't love a good giveaway? We have another giveaway. Uh, we've got a free entry into the Heat Wave Triathlon. That is June 1st, 2019. Yeah, to be cool. In case you're listening Guaranteed to this in the future. Cool temperatures. Yep. Perfect race conditions. It's not been bad in the last couple of years. Uh, but it is a half mile swim. This is the best part. 27 mile bike. Oh, yeah, a pretty flat and you, fast. You cyclist, man. 27 mile bike and a 10k run. The, nice. the run is the run's kind of challenging toward the end. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The bike has a couple of rollers on it, but otherwise it's pretty dang fast. It's on Natchez Trace, correct? It's on the Natchez Trace, and you generally you have ridden a, that before. That's a great a great place to ride. Yeah, it's in Ridgeland, Mississippi. So if uh, it's a couple hours from here, um, from Memphis, but great race. So here's how you uh, get entries. One. You uh, you share this live event. Well, this is how you're eligible. This is how you get eligible to win there this. There we go. Yeah, this sorry. doesn't guarantee you get it. No. You share the live event. Share it that's, right now. That's, a, that's an entry. Ooh, share. If you write us uh, a review on iTunes, Ooh. you get an entry for every star you give us. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you give us one star, you get an entry. There we go. And then if you share the post, the repost of the edited version of today, entry. We'll Bam. give it away next week. Next week. 
All right. That's that's a great value too. Yeah. I mean, it's what? Cheapest you said? Uh, cheapest is like, like 65, 65 or 75 bucks. But then goes up from there. I mean, Take I mean, advantage of it. You get a long bike. Mm-hmm. And there's free beer afterwards, always. It's like you're being paid it's, to go it do It really this is. You're getting Man, paid. To, no, <laughs> no excuse yeah. not to get, get all share happy right now. All right. So uh, before we get on to bike fitting, first and foremost, shout outs. Love shout out time. Shout outs. I'm just going to lead off. I think we got a pretty much a off-road, uh, off-road pack today, all mountain bike uh, mm-hmm. shout outs. Uh, Dan Applegate uh, went out to Watch Ta Challenge and, and Brad uh, Harriman. And Brad Harriman. Gotta combine them here. Yeah, had a uh, it was a it's a challenging day. That's uh, <laughs> they don't call it the Watch Ta Challenge for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he cracked 15 minutes off his previous time. So yep, and decent Brad, day. Brad knocked off 34 minutes off his previous time. So that's a good day. Solid, 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 solid improvement. Stuff. What's even more impressive though, we were chatting about both of them is. They aren't people who are, this is a long event. I mean, you are yeah. on your bike for a long 58 time 58 miles or something. Yeah. Um, 6,000. Yeah, it's something. it's a tough day. Yeah. And both of them were doing it on limited training time. Yeah. It's I, not like they were putting in 15 hour weeks. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, you know, they're getting the, they're getting better and had better times than previous. But yeah, I'd say neither of them had like an ideal run in, you know, we, we ran into things like work and spring break came along and, uh, Dan specifically got sick for a week. And, you know, so those things came along, they did the best they could with the work time they had and got the quality in and they both did better than previous. Exactly. Yeah. No, that was awesome. And the other, the other two, uh, we had Hart Robinson and David Collins, uh, both headed over to middle Tennessee and uh, they doubled up. So this was like on the back end of a big training block for both of them. Um, and we wanted to cap it with, with a race day just because you push yourself, which is uh, you know, a good training tip for a lot of people. Um, not every race you go to has to be peak form for you. You can use races where you know you're going to push yourself and dig deep um, as a way to sort of cap the end of a hard training block. And that's what both of them did. Uh, so they had tired legs going in. And uh, Hart uh, managed a third place in the uh, in the Cat One Open Pro Division behind two pros that he said were super fast, and uh, and then he was first in the single speed, so they doubled up. And David Collins was third and third respectively. So uh, a great cap to a training block and uh, great results. We uh, we're t- somebody's saying that we don't have audio. No audio. We're good. Okay. We're good. Um, Someone yeah. else give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. <laughs> yeah, if, if we're having audio problems, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll get it fixed before we move on. But uh, We'll keep going for now. We'll keep moving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both great, great performances, and that's, that's a big thing is, is sometimes using those, using races, just capping off a big block. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's accumulated, especially if you're going, uh, for longer distance events, which is obviously kind of the popular thing to do these days. Uh, that's how you accumulate fatigue and that's how you simulate one big day Mm -hmm. is doing a pretty big day on super tired legs. Exactly. All right, let's get to it. Bike fitting. Bike fit time. So first off, let's talk a little bit just kind of on the philosophy so uh, essentially bike fitting is 
is going to come even before you hop on the bike. So when, when you're taking someone through a bike fit, first thing they do when they walk through the door, you don't throw them on the bike and start measuring things and, and making adjustments. Instead, kind of just run through the philosophy we have the, and kind of what you do at the start of a at the start of a bike fit before we dive into issues that are found. Yeah, I think I have bike fitting. I've got a bit of a different philosophy than a lot of bike fitters out there just having such a like a biomechanics and physiology background. Um I am not one to accommodate like poor strength structure, mm-hmm. anything that can be fixed with strength flexibility or proper mechanics. Um I'm not going to accommodate that in the fit, but I am going to send that athlete out the door with a plan to improve themselves, which in turn is going to improve the overall position on the bike. And in the long term, that's going to benefit them more than me accommodating something they have going on right now. And, you know, then the, then the position is not right for them six months down the road if they actually work on that. Exactly. That thing. They so, improve the weakness. Yeah. Instead of accommodating a weakness and allowing it to remain, address the weakness, identify the weakness, yeah. address it, and then yeah. leave the uh, leave the athlete with a way to actually fix that. Yeah. So when, when somebody it. comes through the door, the first thing we do is do some, some basic movements and check flexibility in specific areas. Um, I like to check, obviously, hamstrings and lower back. And then I also take check rotational flexibility quite a bit because... It can cause legs to extend further or not as far as others. Um, so when you're measuring leg extension angles and stuff like trying to get the seat height right, um, you can get vastly different numbers on right and left side. And it could just be because uh, one side of their pelvis or their back is tighter than the other and it's not allowing that leg to move the same as the other one. Track, but but that's not a... There that's not a thing you accommodate. Like Mm -hmm. that's where you say, okay, we found this. Here's how you're going to fix it. Like you fix it. It's going to take you doing a little extra work, but in the long run, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more comfortable on your bike and you're going to perform better on this bike because you fixed it. Exactly. Um, So we'll go through the uh, movement assessments. And then obviously we start working on the cleats before you even get on the bike. Uh, We start working cleat position, um, and then I'll get them on the bike and war- let them warm up. Uh, I think so- that's a really big thing. This is not a static fit. No. It's not like hop on your bike, we're going to put your leg at uh, what we view as the perfect Yeah, we're not going to break out protractors. And, yeah. Yeah. Instead, we, we get you moving, get, you, get the camera set up, uh, get the lights blaring on you so that we have good image. Um, get the music going. Yeah, get so the ambiance is right. Get get the Rocky uh, soundtrack in the background. Perfect. Uh, you know, get old old Tour de France videos <laughs> on TV. Get you pumped up. Uh, that's not true, but uh, but just get your legs warmed up first because we do hard efforts during the during the fit. And whenever I like am looking at leg extension angles and and pedal stroke timing and stuff like that, it's always done during the hard effort. That's where we want to be the most efficient, where you're having to put out a lot of power, a lot of force to the pedal. That's where we want to be the most efficient. The other times, it doesn't, I mean, it's going to be comfortable, but like Mm -hmm. um, if you want to perform on the bike, you don't want the mechanical breakdown to happen when you're putting the most power to the pedal. Exactly. So you won't see that in a static fit. You'll never see that in a static fit. And you're, and you're, 
a lot of times in a static fit, you're simulating body positions that aren't natural to you mm-hmm. uh, and aren't natural to how you pedal. So, uh, you know, we'll get you moving. We'll take some images uh, with the camera and uh, we'll go from there pretty much. Cool. So and I think one thing that, that a lot of people, especially if you're, if you're new to, to riding, you don't really realize how big of a difference a couple millimeters can be. I mean, just small little tweaks as, as Coach Dale's kind of diving through a lot of these, uh, you know, troubleshooting things and, and issues that he sees when he's fitting people. There's a lot of times where you can make just a tiny tweak of maybe nose height on the saddle or yep. fore aft or handlebar rotation. Just small little things can add up to, to big time differences in comfort and, and body position and overall power transfer. Yeah. So uh, getting it dialed in the- is huge. Bike fitting is a game of millimeters. Uh, uh, you know, in a lot of cases with some of these issues that we're going to talk about, it's a game of centimeters because it turns into big adjustments. But, um, but yeah, you're right. Like, the thing to keep in mind, though, is that anytime you change one thing about a saddle, it can affect five others, four other, you know, angles or body parts or mm-hmm. muscles being yep. active or inactive like mm-hmm. uh so you have to make small changes and let them uh let your body adjust to them before you get you know all bent out of shape saying oh that didn't work now yep. i'm going to change this again you know one ride later like yep. you have to be patient and let those things uh let the changes uh you know do their job and get your body adjusted to them otherwise you just have, I mean, you just have to be patient. Exactly. It's huge. Well, and also know that the bike fit you're in now, or maybe you've had a bike fit in the past that, that felt good, that your bike fit can change as you adapt and adjust like you were just talking about. It may be that six months down the road, you've adapted to this position. And if mm-hmm. getting into a more aero position is something you're trying to do, don't go all the way to the position you want to be in at the start, but know that your body's going to evolve. It's going to change. And, and having tweaks made to your bike and getting refit is actually yeah. a thing that's, that can be very important. Absolutely. Muscles muscles fire on a curve. The more stretched or contracted they are, the less force they put out. So if your flexibility improves and you're trying to get into a more aggressive position, as your flexibility improves, you can get closer to that more aggressive position. But it does you no good if you have horrible hamstring flexibility. Uh, and this is a rant I'll go on later. But to get yourself in a super aggressive position because your muscles just are not going to fire efficiently and put it, produce a lot of force because they're, it's afraid of tearing itself. Yep. So uh, that's for a little bit <laughs> we'll down the road. That. But um, the other thing that I like to focus on is, is making sure that muscles that aren't producing force to the pedal are relaxed. Uh, you know, the, the muscular system is there to not only assist in movement, but it's also there to resist movement. Mm -hmm. And so if, if certain muscles are not active or they're, uh, you know, uh, if they're, if they're stretched versus contracted or, or like one muscle is, uh, kind of compensating for another, like Mm -hmm. those things show up in your body position pretty easily. And if, if there's tension in the upper body that just doesn't need to be there, it's taking away from, from activity and energy that can be put to the lower body. So I think a lot of people ignore the, 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 like what's happening. Like everybody goes for like angles, like, is my, is this angle right? Like, mm-hmm. like, well, 
by the num by the recommendations, the angle might be right, but you're like your shoulders are all rounded out and you're shrugged, so you don't look comfortable at all. Exactly. So let's fix that first, look and the then we can system. try to get the yeah. the angles right. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's jump in. All right, let's dive right into it. Number one, we're leading off with the, the number one. Should I drum roll every time? Ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know if you like the drum roll. Uh, number one. Number one. Saddle too high. Yeah. 80%, uh, maybe 90% of the people that I fit, uh, saddle's too high. And a lot of that comes from um, either, say, being statically fit, that that is part of it sometimes, but just not knowing, like it's easier to feel the saddle being too low. Um, but also people see pros with the saddle, like up here and the bars down here, having this massive drop bar bar drop. And they're like, well, that's what I got to do. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what the bike is supposed to look like. Yeah. And, uh, they're pros for a reason mm-hmm. uh and they're on frame sizes that are super small right relative to their body size exactly so that drop that they're getting it looks like their saddle's super high but it's more so because there's a lot more saddle posts coming out because they're on a smaller frame with a really long stem right and so when your saddle is like super high that's like like main things saddle sores yep. any type of uh, sat, a lot of saddle discomfort can be uh, taken away by lowering the saddle. Uh, the big thing, your leg, you ha- your leg has to extend so far, you end up rocking over the side of the saddle. That's kind of the big and thing, that yeah. gets that's where the saddle sores come in. Mm-hmm. When that, like when you push hard, your body's going to naturally force you your heel down. And so, if you set a seat height with your heel up here, your knees bent more. So if you're just going for angles, you can get that perfect angle, angle quote perfect my air quotes knee, here if you angle, if you're listening yeah. you can get those perfect angle angles and your heels too high and so now when you actually want to drop your heel and your, your leg extends further uh you either end up finishing the bottom of the pedal stroke with your calf pointing your toes yep. or you rock over the side of the saddle to try to extend your leg farther and then you get saddle sores uh so saddle too high Huge. And not only that, yeah, once you're in that overly stretched position, you're no longer producing force. So when that leg angle gets too great, too straightened out, you're no longer able to generate the force that you could by having that that lower saddle height. So if you're trying to set your own saddle height, try to set it, like if you have a video, if you have a video opportunity, try to set it while you're going hard. Um, The other means, like if you're just trying to ballpark it, you can actually like unclip, put your heel on the, on the pedal and extend your leg fully. So heel on the pedal, extend your leg fully, and then kind of set the saddle height that way. And then when you clip back in, there's a little bit of bend in your knee. Mm -hmm. That's a starting point at least. Um, but if you can't get your heel on the pedal, uh, what would you say is a, a bigger either performance or risk for injury? Saddle too high or saddle too low? If someone were to be setting it in a ballpark, uh, should they err on the high side or low side? I mean, that's a it's a tough one because one some can cause knee, yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah. Saddle too low, you'll get knee problems. Uh, saddle too high is like more more problems, like varied problems. Um, 
if you have knee problems, like if you were prone to knee issues, I would say err on the side of a little bit high. Yeah. Um, but, you know, low, erring on the side of low, you get, you get, you just get so much more like glute activation out of a lower saddle height. And those muscles are strong, very fatigue resistant, um, you know, and if you're underutilizing them, you're missing out like big time. So, um, yeah, unless you have knee problems, I'd probably err on the side of just a smidge low. I mean, we're talking like error, meaning like a couple mils yeah. up or down. Like, yeah. um, I'd probably err on the side of low, but okay. All right. Anything else to add to that one? No, let's move on. Moving on to number two, cleat too far forward. Yeah. I think most people, when they get new shoes, even if the shop is like putting them on for them, um, they kind of just get slapped on there and tightened down just to make sure that they're not going to fall off the shoe. And it's not, there's not a lot of attention paid to where the cleat position is, or sometimes they they'll do the old, you know, like where's your metatarsal, like side of your foot, the bony part inside of your foot and they'll set it. But, but a lot of people will set it based on the metatarsal near the big toe. And what I found is if, if you set it based on that, it's generally too far forward. Um, because once you get the pressure of the pedal uh, toward the front of that pad of your foot, yeah, I didn't wear shoes today, or socks. So if you can see this, if you get toward the front of the pad of your foot, the pressure here, when you pressure that, your toes tend to curl. And w once your toes curl, the next thing, calf. calf, boom. So you get toes curling in your shoe, your calf contracts, and now you're overusing your calf. Yeah. Um, so, and, and quad tends to follow. Yep. Yep. So anyone dealing with knee issues as well, I mean that could be absolutely click position as well. Overuse of the tops of your legs. Yep. Pulling on those knees, part of that could be cleat position. Yep. Saddle so, height, cleat position. So what I tend to do is like if you're, what I recommend is if you're, unless you're like a dedicated sprinter yep. or a climber that climbs out of the saddle a lot, my recommendation is to slam that cleat back all the way back and move it from there. Like start all the way back and then, you know, figure it, figure it out from there. If you're getting, if you feel like you're getting too much glute activation you don't feel like you're using your quads much or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as f like side to side movement, uh, you can start it in the middle. I usually start it wider for guys. Like if you're a, a male, I usually start wider foot position. So the cleat toward the inside of the foot, it moves the shoe out. Uh, ladies, I tend to center it up. It just depends, like it just depends. And then, and then once you see what your knees do, exactly. you can move them in and out to better align. And, and yeah. Yep. But most of the time, my starting point for any cleat is back and pretty wide foot stance position. So cleat toward the inside. Um, but if your cleat's too far forward, you're just, you're going to over, overuse your calves and, and uh, indirectly gonna affect your quad usage. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's thinking about like, I always uh, like ladies wearing high heels, they're always toe down. And that's kind of what happens when you that cleat positions forward, that pressure comes, toes curl, heel lifts up. And the glutes don't wanna fire too And much the glutes then. don't wanna fire at all. Yeah. So. Um, and you need the glutes. 
they're they're important. Use them glutes. They're important. You got to have those fire. We talk about we talk about all this stuff quite a bit in the house of pain from a pedal stroke standpoint, relaxing toes, dropping heels, but a side product of that is how are you actually positioned on your bike? Can you drop your heel or is the saddle too high? Yeah. Can you are you naturally wanting to curl your toes and contract that calf? Well, that could be cleat could be part forward. of it. All right. If you have questions, uh, if you're on live and you have questions, put them in, uh, put them down there, and we'll answer them at the end here. Yep, we got a few already. We got, uh, we got no questions yet on the live feed. Okay. However, um, so the next the next thing that I see quite a bit is just the bike being too big mm-hmm. or the wrong size in general. Yep. And that was me. My first bike ever. Yeah. So I ride a 58 now, and I was on a 62. That's pretty big. 62 for that's my first one. That's pretty big. And now, and that's not like, you know, sometimes people are like in between sizes, and you just, it's really hard to put them on the perfect size. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're one of those people that's like just disproportionate in your like inseam versus your torso length, like those are hard people to like, to fit on bikes and to just in choosing the the size of the bike. Um, but a lot of times what might happen is you, you buy a used bike because it's cheap or, you know, sometimes I don't know any shops that do this, but, uh, sometimes, you know, the shop wants to sell what's on the floor and they might recommend a size that, you know, may not be the best for you. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you get in and if a bike's too big, it gets increasingly harder to get the the reach of the bike, uh, you know, at a proper level without putting a really short stem on it. Yeah. Um, and then, like, if the bike's too big, like, especially for, like, time trial uh, bikes and triathlon bikes, if the bike's too big, it becomes increasingly harder to get the drop that you want as far as, you know, aero position yeah, goes. Bringing your upper body lower. Yeah. It's... it's it's just difficult. So, I mean, I would say just make sure, like, especially if you're going to go spend thousands of bucks on a new bike, that you're getting the right size. Yeah. And and you've helped people quite a bit in that regard uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Especially people who you fit before that you know their size. Yeah. That, that you can say, hey, you know, what are you deciding between? I'd yep. go with this. Yeah. Now, if you have, so just really quick, this wasn't a question someone asked, but I'm sure, you know, a question that's been asked before. Say someone does have unnatural proportions, someone really long legs, shorter torso from a frame size. Should they say they're in between? Should they go smaller frame, bigger frame? I usually go smaller. Smaller frame and then vice versa. Someone longer torso, shorter legs. Depends on their goal. Like if you're the, so if you got long legs, short torso, I always say go shorter, smaller frame. If you're, uh, short leg, long torso, that's the harder one, mm-hmm. the harder combo. Um, and on, on that one, it just depends on your goal. If you're like very endurance rider or uh, long course triathlete or something like that, I think it's totally fine to go with the bigger size. Um, because if you get the smaller size and your torso is that much longer and you have to put like a really long stem mm-hmm. on the bike, the handling of the bike is is way different it's it's touchier it's twitchier like for a for somebody doing like crit racing where there's a lot of like uh technical corners and stuff like that it's a little bit harder to hold 
line with a really long stem. Um, you know, you think about like a downhill mountain biker who has to like maneuver like crazy fast corners and stuff like that. Their stems are always like, it's like a block. It's right on the steer tube. Uh, the further that stem, further the bars get away from that steer tube, the hard, there's more, you know, that lever, lever arm is longer. And so it's a little bit harder to hold and keep the reactions from the front tire down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if you're longer torso, I say if you're going for endurance and comfort, go, you can go with a bigger frame. Mm-hmm. But if you're on, you want to be aggressive, you're going to have to go with a shorter frame and deal with a longer, longer stem. And I think you mentioned a big thing here, uh, which is also part of our, the bike fitting process is goals. So what, what are your actual goals yep. moving forward? Are you someone that's going to be doing 200 mile rides or are you someone who's going to be racing crits? Yep. The, the fit that you're going to put a person in is going to be a little different depending on yeah. whether it's more comfort based versus more. I've, I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of people that I fit rolling around that like, they come in and they're, and they're doing a 70.3 or a full Ironman or something like that. And they, and I fit them for that. Like, no. so it's not super aggressive. Five very, plus hours of yeah. saddle. And so they go out on their group ride with their buddies and they're like, yeah, why did it, that is, that is not arrow at all. Like, why are you, you, you know, you look like you're sitting in a lazy boy, like, but you, you don't know the full story behind the person you don't know that they have really poor hamstring flexibility and they're doing long course triathlon. So until you, you know, if a person's been fit by a professional fitter, until you know the full story, yeah. like you can't, you can't really make a judgment call on uh, and, and put your two cents in on, you know, the person's position uh, until you know. Like, exactly. Um, All right, moving on. We got, we got more to get through here. Yeah. Th- speed this up. All right, so... <laughs> One of the big thing I see is uh, bikes. This is just bikes in general. Uh, the the geometry is too aggressive. So like, and that's a, that's the thing that you've been talking a lot about with the new super uh, time trial yeah. slash triathlon bikes. These all these a lot super of bikes integrated. All these stuff super on the bikes are super difficult to manipulate the front end, um, and they're super aggressive geometry. But they say they're building them for triathletes, but the bulk of triathletes are actually doing long course. And it's really hard to get a person comfortable for hours and hours and hours on these bikes. Mm -hmm. Because the front end, there's just not enough like lift in the front end. And then you're then you're resorting to like putting like 90 millimeters of stack underneath the pads and then the then the uh or being forced to move to a bigger frame size right and then trying to (laughs) right so you know it's like a lot of these bikes are developed for pros and with pros who can handle very aggressive positions Mm -hmm. but they're also not on a bike for five plus hours Mm -hmm. you know in that position used to yeah having plenty of time to adapt to that position so i I just would be you know if you're going to buy one of these super bikes like make sure on the front end you have a way to get that bike less aggressive from the get-go i mean figure out if they have optional like uh stacks to put under the pads like that's the popular thing now you see like even the pros like their bars are in line with the top tube Mm -hmm. but there's there they have like 
five inches of stack underneath the pads, and, which is, you know, still getting them flat, but the bike's so small yep. that, you know, they're just putting tons and tons of stack to get them mm-hmm. into a good position. And that's something I've had to resort to with a bunch of people who are doing long course on very aggressive time trial bikes is just stacking the pads like crazy. So that's an, that's another big one. So just watch out. If you're buying a super bike, just make sure there's options to get the front end up, up, up. Yeah. Um, All right. The next one moving on huge is the saddle improperly leveled. Yeah. And I actually, you know, sometimes you go out and ride, you have it set right and you can go out and ride and hit a bump and it, yep. you don't even realize it's adjusted your seat height. Mm-hmm. I, I recently had where I didn't realize my saddle had tilted down slightly yep. over the course of a ride and started noticing so much pressure on my hands. Like, like I was just overweighting my hands and I, I got, I dealt with it for two rides and got home and was like, I got to check this. And sure enough, it was very tiny adjustment on the nose of the saddle, moving it up went out and cruise again. I was like, Oh my gosh, so much better. Night and day. Yeah. It's so much different. It's the, I always tell that's the, the most fickle setting mm-hmm. on, on a bike, like the nose tilt, the saddle tilt, uh, it can like one millimeter can make a huge difference, uh, with saddle pressure, hand pressure, uh, lower back tightness, all that kind of stuff. But what a lot of people end up doing is they take a saddle they plop a level on top of it, uh-huh, uh-huh. and they just level it like that. Uh-huh. The problem with it is saddles aren't While meant... they're on an uphill. Yeah. <laughs> problem with it is saddles aren't meant to be leveled like that, and they have... There's features in a saddle that are meant to help cue your pelvis over. That little flip that happens on the back of a lot of saddles, that's there so when you scoot back too far or you get away from, like, the sweet spot of the saddle, it's there to, like, cue you to roll your pelvis forward. But a lot of people end up leveling that thing out. So yeah. there's like this dip in the middle of the saddle, yeah. and then the nose is up, and the back is like level. Uh-huh. And that's like that's the worst because you can you when you go to the front of the saddle or you get in an aggressive position, this the amount of pressure that's going to come off that nose is numbing. Got a story about that. <laughs> no, yeah, I got a different story about yeah. that one. Yeah, <laughs> another day. People want story time. I'll dive into that later. Yeah. So what you need to do, like to, to properly level a saddle, you find the sweet spot of the saddle. It may be like even like a two inch spot on the sweet saddle. Spot meaning like the spot bones, where you sit the most. Where sit bones so if are it's, going to be. If you're on if you're on a like a more upright position bike, it's going to be further back on the saddle. If you're on like a time trial saddle or a split nose saddle, it's going to be closer to the front because you're actually going to be on your pubic bones more yeah. so than your sit bones. So you find that sweet spot where you spend the most time and you level that spot. You level the two inch spot on the saddle, uh, you know, and then if it's, if you get pressure off that, you tilt it down just a smidge, but you find that spot and you level it. Don't pay attention to any other feature of the saddle. They're supposed to be there, mm-hmm. but level the little sweet spot. It'll make all the difference in the world. And as far as, you know, we, I, I just talked about like on my ride that I was doing, feeling that pressure on my hands that yep. wasn't there for me it was nose down is that something you typically find nose yeah down forces you nose, to kind of slide yeah. off fall forward too or far down or if you're constantly feeling like you're needing to push yourself back yep slide back on the saddle like you're falling yep. off the front a little bit nose down a lot of pressure on the hands so you you may either feel like you're sliding 
or you may feel like you're pushing away from the bars. Um, if you have very little weight on your hands or if you're getting lower back issues or saddle, like tons of saddle nose pressure, mm -hmm. the saddle's probably too far up. Yeah. But if you, if you realize you have a ton of hand pressure or if you're one of those people that constantly is like, looks like you're pushing away from your bars and your shoulders are all rounded out, there's a chance either the saddle's too tilted downward or the bars are just needing some, Need some, some tweaks. So, All right, moving yeah. on. Uh, overuse of the K-O-P-S, <laughs> knee over pedal spindle. Yeah. Cops. There's, it's like one of those bad things boys, where you're... You're, you are, uh, <laughs> people put out these like recommendations and they all, they're all good, but you know, it's not good for everybody. So, um, you know, knee over pedal spindle or cops is like probably the most common thing you'll see. Like if somebody comes in and I, and I know they've been fit pr previously, 95% of the time they're going to be pff, knee over pedal. Dead on. Um, but the problem with that is that not everybody's femurs and tibias the upper leg and lower leg are the same length and so um it messes with the timing through the bottom of the pedal stroke so instead of paying a ton of attention to knee over pedal or to to knee position uh, i do check it but i i first try to get the point where your hamstring kicks in uh, and you see all this on video slow-mo video the point where your hamstring kicks in, I try to get that as close to six o'clock as possible. And the reason for that is when the, if, if the crank arm is in front of six, like five o'clock, and you start to pull back with your hamstring, because that's the movement the hamstring does, when you pull back with the hamstring, you're actually pulling against that crank arm and you're doing very little good to pull against a, a rigid object. So it's once you get down to six, if you pull straight back there, now you're pulling with that circle and you're actually producing force that's going to help, you know, generate power. Uh, so I'll find that point first, and then I'll check the knee position. And sometimes it's a little bit in front, and sometimes it's a little bit behind. Um, and it, it also varies based on the bike and the style of rider. Like time trial position, a lot of times is pretty far forward in front of the uh, the knee the knee over pedal. If you take that as like the the standard, the, the standard. The Time trials are always in front. Triathletes almost always in front. Now you don't want to get too close, like to the toe. Like mm -hmm. if you get out, if your knee's over your toe, you're asking for knee problems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but like mountain bikers and even some of the gravel bikes and stuff like that that I've fit, you'll end up maybe even slightly behind that pedal spindle, um, and it's just just part of the geometry of the bike, but also, um, you know moving you back that far helps utilize a little bit more uh, glute and on like long sustained climbs where or something like that where you're upright for a long period of time mm -hmm. um so just just know like that's a good place to start knee over pedal but you know if it's if your timing of the bottom of the pedal stroke at six o'clock point is is off you're losing some efficiency there so that's my spiel on cops no, it makes it makes a I love sense. cops, don't get me wrong. Bad boys, bad boys. <laughs> we should have keep that keep up. Keep doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> uh, we got a couple questions that we'll dive into just really quick. Stacy, she was at our speed workshop on Saturday. A runner who's just getting into bikes uh, that they want to use for cross training, where would you direct them as a brand new person to get 
into bikes? Yeah, just just to snag a bike. I would listen to this in its entirety. And yeah. then uh, local bike shop I would yeah. is going to be kind of your best bet. Talk through your goals with them. Um, more of an entry-level bike if it's just going to be used for cross-training. Yeah, and just, I mean, just make sure they go through a basic protocol to size you on the bike. You know, if they just look at you and you say, oh, yeah, you're about this size, just mm-hmm. question them. I mean, they should be willing to help. They should have the knowledge to help you uh, size the bike properly. Um, but if you don't, if if they don't like go through any process to try to get you on the right size, then just question them. And yeah, uh, we got another one. We'll uh, Chris, we see your question. We'll uh, we'll dive into that one here in a second. All right. So one of the other main things that I that I see more more these days, I've just kind of noticed this trend. Uh, and I've just had to fix it a lot lately. So, um, is, uh, bars too high. I mean, everybody, like we get a lot of endurance riders and people that do a lot of century rides and even like ultra endurance riding and stuff like that. And the mindset there is that the, the more upright the bike can be, the more comfortable it's going to be for hours on end. But two, two major problems come with really, really high bars. When those bars get really high, one you start to dump your hips backwards. Um, and it's like, if you're sitting, if you're sitting in a chair, right, you're not sitting on your pubic bones at all. Your hips are, your pelvis is rolled under you and you're called slump, especially in this couch. You're like, right now I got no zip, sit bone contact. No. Now. Yeah. I'm on my, I'm, I'm like basically on my, on my low back. I'm on my coccyx <laughs> right now. But, uh, but yeah, the higher the bars go, the more you tend to dump your hips backwards mm-hmm. and that can really shut off uh, shut off glutes and hamstrings, but also put a lot of pressure in your lower back. Uh, the other big thing that I've been seeing with bars too high is, is, um, you you start to shrug. So like I always, the, the way I explain it is if you walk up to a bar, right, you're not going to put your hands up on the bar by dropping your elbows and putting your hands up there. Uh, you're going to shrug your shoulders and you're going to put your whole arm up on that bar. So that's like whenever your bars are too high, you adjust that height, not by like lifting your hands up, but by shrugging to get your hands to the level that you want. So your wrists are in alignment. So a lot of times what happens is that you put the bar so high and you may have good arm angles. You know, the, the perfect arm angles. Elbow. But, yeah, the elbow. Yeah, elbow <laughs> angle. But you're like this. You're just shrugged. Your arms are either shrugged up or your you're, you're front of your shoulders protruding forward. Because you're trying to manipulate your hand height. And this, this may, may tie into the question that Chris was going to ask, which is why I was saving it for now. Why would my arms feel comfortable when I'm outdoors, but on the trainer I always feel like I'm reaching shoulders rounded, rounded out? So why you feel comfortable outside? But re- the, a lot of, like, the trainer is a weird thing because you're not, you, the bike doesn't move under you quite as much. So even just that more static position in general uh, produces weird results where you're supporting, you're trying to support yourself yeah. on the trainer versus outdoors. But right? a lot of people don't realize that when they're on their trainer, they like, they don't even keep their hands in the same spot on the bike. So, um, you know, the hand position could be different. Uh, you know, it could Sometimes be the level the tire, of the saddle yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, or the level of the bike itself. So, if, um, like, Most of those wheel blocks are not level with your rear tire. Exactly. So it's putting your front end front up. tire up, which is kind of bringing your... Yeah, you could be sliding you. back on the saddle and it's increasing the reach of the bike. 
or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the level of the bike indoors plays a big role of it. Um, that could be it. Um, One thing I've noticed as far as bars too high is um, when working with people outdoors on out-of-the-saddle riding mechanics, when bars are too high as well, it's been tough for them to get their weight over yeah. the front of their bike because there's no room yep. to go. Or they're really having to bend, and it's more like a sprint mechanic. So comfort out of the saddle can be an issue. Absolutely. With bars, with bars too high. Yep, I've seen that as well. All right, moving on to the next one. All right. This, we just went from bars too high. Yeah, this is another one. This is, uh, we kind of already touched on this a little bit with the aggressive geometries, mm-hmm. but uh, aero pads being too low. And so what happens when the aero pads are too low is you end up reaching for the pad with your forearm instead of actually like, getting your chest lower. So I've seen people like you, I'll, I'll like go, I call it a towel test. You put, roll a towel up and it lifts them up by like three inches. Mm-hmm. And they put the, you know, you put the uh, towel under their forearms and the while chest resting, height doesn't While resting on their, their pads. Yeah. That... And their chest height doesn't change. Mm-hmm. The, the torso angle does not change at all. But all that happened was they retracted their shoulders. So allowed their chest to relax. Allowed them to relax, relax the upper body. Yeah. So, like just because your aero pads are low doesn't mean you're in a great aero position. There's a good chance if you don't, and this is part of it, if you don't have the strength to hold, to hold that position, then you're just going to end up, your body doesn't like that discomfort, and it's going to push you away from the pads to get your chest higher to make everything else happy. So just watch out for your shoulders rounding out when you're, when you're setting your aero pad height. Try to get those the shoulder blades to sit back and relax and retract a little bit. That's my two cents. There we go. <clears throat> that's all you got. It's two, so we can't we can't try to pull another cent out of you nope. on that one. Nope. All right, next one. Long term use of shims. Start with uh, first off talking what a shim is. Yeah, this for someone who's so not like, familiar with it, and yeah. then why that could be an issue to a shim is something that a lot of fitters will put in a shoe under the cleat generally that either increases the basically it's millimeters increases the length of the that one foot essentially that one leg so the height of yeah the height the pedal essentially yeah. pedal uh, height changes. or it angles the pedal a little bit in theory this helps uh you know counteract imbalances in the right and left side Mind length discrepancy and helps like align the knees like if one knee is coming close to the top tube or not Again, I, this is like a pet peeve of mine. Any, I think I've left in the 300 plus bikes that I've fit, or you know, over the last several years, uh, I've probably left shims in people's shoes twice, maybe. Uh, but even even still, I'll generally take them out and just see what happens without them. Um, and if something's blaring, I'm gonna leave them with a. I'm going to reassess their strength in specific muscles laterally, especially, uh, and then leave them with a, basically a physical therapy plan to get those muscles back activated. So those knees will realign themselves naturally because in the long term, that's going to help the rider more than anything. You put a shim in there and you just leave it there for years and it's just a crutch to like help realign the knee but the muscles are still inactive and they're not helping you at all like produce, produce force. That's the big thing. There's a difference between having actual bone length yeah. discrepancies versus discrepancies that have formed due to muscular 
issues. Yeah, if you so two totally different things here. If you have a leg length, a, a, like a leg length discrepancy that's been diagnosed yeah. by a doctor, that's one thing. I'll leave the shims in. It's got to happen. But through 90, that initial off the bike assessment, you can ninety nine percent of the time it's just because your if your legs are different lengths, it's a functional leg length problem because your hips are out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And that can be fixed with strength, flexibility, and maybe a chiropractor. And long term, that's going to make you a stronger, absolutely, rider than what leaving a shim in would. So what I do is, if people need knee alignment or something like that, I'll give them the strength plan, this, that, and the other. But I'll suggest like a little bit of a little bit extra arch support, mm-hmm. or they do have shims that you can actually put in the shoe. Um, underneath the midsole to kind of, you know, just cue that foot out just a little bit Mm -hmm. and give them the strength program so that, you know, in, uh, six months or three months, six months, whatever, take the shim out, like Mm -hmm. get rid of it. But I don't want them to have to pull the cleat apart and start messing around with that whole, that whole to take the shim out later. Uh, so I'm not, I just, I'm not a huge proponent of shims in general. Uh, because I just feel like it's a crutch. Uh, unless, again, unless you have a like degenerative problem or something that's been diagnosed by a doctor, I don't really like accommodating mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I don't think it's the best for the rider. Good. No, that's that's a good one. All right, the last one. Whew. Unless more questions. This could pop take. Up. A, this could take a while. Wanting uh, to be aggressive, so a very uh, arrow slam that stem. No wind's ever going to touch your your chest, uh, but not having the flexibility or strength to support that position. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I've had a couple people that just just demand a a very aggressive position, and they have it in their head what that looks like, mm-hmm. and it's generally what a pro's bike would look like, um, and when you assess them on the front end, they've got horrible hamstring and back and everything flexibility can barely get past their knee. Like, like, uh, and they're super weak in their core and, uh, posterior chain muscles. Everything's just weak. So they're in no way, shape or form prepared to hold an aggressive position. Um, but they just like have it set in their head that that's what they have to do to get faster on a bike. Yeah, and if you try to get into too aggressive of a position, but your body can't handle that, <laughs> you're going to be compensated. You're not going to be producing the power that you should be because muscles are either going to have to turn off, you're going to have to really hunch your, your low back and shut your glutes off in order to try to drop your chest to yep. that position. Uh, you're not going to be able to roll forward like you would need to because that's just way too much stretch through your hamstrings, which are only capable of stretching to the point that they have that flexibility. So it, it does you no real good. Uh, we always say there's, you know, when you're, when you're trying to go as fast as you can, if that's your goal, arrow is one thing and power is the other component, right? So you got to overcome the wind resistance and you got to be pushing power to the pedals. It does, does, you want to find the sweet spot between the two essentially, mm-hmm. right? You want to be in the spot where you're, as arrow as you can be while producing the best power to minimize time and maximize speed. 
Uh, but yep. if you if you sacrifice power generation just to get lower, that's great if you're on a downhill and not having to pedal hard. Yep. But when you're trying to produce power or needing to produce power, uh, that can be a, a bad bad thing. If you're if you can uh, if you can average over thirty miles an hour for three plus miles, let's talk. Let's 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 see if we can get you super aero. Super aero yeah. Uh, but if you can do that, you probably have the strength and flexibility to uh, withstand an aggressive position. So. And here's here's the thing, like. If that's your goal and you've got big goals, yep. we're not against you getting there. Nope. But you just need to know it's going to be a process. Yep. So you aren't going to be taken into a five-inch lower slam stem position day one. It's going to be spend you know three months here, do your strength work, work flexibility. We're going to put you in a position you need to adapt to that. And then from there, adapt again from there adapt again going yep. too crazy with something like that i can't tell you a recipe for disaster i can't tell you how many times i've actually made people less aggressive and they've gotten faster mm-hmm. scott newberry is a is a good example multi-time state tennessee state time trial champion and uh he got a, a new bike and copied the position off it was a, pretty much the same bike but copied the new position and just kind of felt didn't really feel like great on it and then by the measurements, I brought him up a little bit in the front, and he had, like hit new fastest time, uh-huh. you know. So it's just not it's not all about arrow, uh-huh. especially at the amateur level. It's not all about arrow. Uh-huh. Um, so there's, I'll jump off my soapbox now. If your body can't handle it, right. And for most of you, we've we've complained a lot before about endurance athletes not doing their strength work. <laughs> And not doing their stretching, right? Yeah. And as coaches, it's like the two things we have the hardest time getting people to do is their strength work and their post-activity stretching. Yep. But those are two things that are going to allow you to get into an aerodynamic, super aero position and produce great force. Uh, so if that's your goal, you need to be putting in, the, putting in the work S&S. on the stuff that you may not, may not like doing nearly as much. Uh, we've had questions. Two give, us, questions give me some questions. Come in. Uh, they were both the same. So, how much is a bike fit from BPC? Hmm. Well, I would say we just dropped the price from one million dollars <laughs> down to uh, <laughs> just just for the. Uh, I would say go check out BPC dot setmore dot com. Setmore. BPC. Just type that in yeah, we'll right put it in the comments. You. Uh, you can book fits on on that site. Um, and that way I don't put out a price that five years down the road people try to hold me to. <laughs> <laughs> but bpc.setmore.com, that will, uh, you can go check out the, uh, the pricing and book one. I just put that in the comments. And then we had a question. Yeah, I know uh, we had one from I'm Debbie. find it. Um, crank arm length, Debbie. Yep. Uh, crank arm length. How does... Changing to a longer or shorter one affect your fitting, i.e. saddle up or down. Can a fitting help you determine which length you should use? Yeah, crank arm length is a it's a big area of constant discussion. Dis- yeah, it's a constant discussion. And, and you've experimented with it. I have. I've gone uh, longer, shorter, like real short. Um, so like the big thing that I found with crank arm length, as far as the fitting goes, obviously... Um, like going shorter, there's always a balance because you have a top and a bottom of the pedal stroke. So if you go longer, 
at the top knee angle gets smaller at the bottom you have to actually extend the leg further uh, if you go really short uh, knee angle opens up over the top but now you don't get so much extension through the bottom um, so there's a balance with either one of them they're not necessarily better or worse what what i've found with crank arm length is um, if you are like getting into an aggressive position on a time trial bike um, so for some people shorter crank arms helps get over the top of the pedal stroke and i had that lady come in even uh, last week or two weeks ago that i told her i was like you're better off getting some shorter crank arms and she had like 170s but she was like short leg long torso so mm-hmm. um it was hard to get it, her knee angle over the top was just kind of approaching that too small uh and so we were kind of fighting with the the saddle height a little bit mm-hmm. but uh if you go shorter crank arms knee angle opens up over the top uh, it's good for some people, especially more aggressive positions. Uh, longer crank arms, obviously over the top, knee comes, knee angle gets smaller, and you have to extend further. So that's a lot of times that's the, that's a problem trying to go too long. Um, what I do is because of my road bike is more upright than a time trial bike, I ride long, longer crank arms on my road bike because I feel like I can generate a lot of force with the longer crank arms, and then. I ride uh, just a normal, like a normal average, like 172.5 on my time trial bike, just to be able to get over the top a little bit more. I've gone as low as 160 or 165 on the time trial bike. And while I could get in a more aggressive position, I just didn't feel like I could generate the same amount of force. I'm a, I'm a, a you know, high, high force person, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's low cadence or high cadence and, like when I don't feel like I can do that, it just I don't like it. So, so on your road bike, your one seventy fives. Road bike, I rode one seventy five. Small drop to one seventy two fives. Yep. If you're someone who has no idea what what length your crank arms are, usually it's stamped on the inside yep. of your of your crank arm, which is what you're kind of where the pedal attaches to. You should see it stamped on there, so yep. you have an idea. So all that. that to say, it depends. Like what you what crank arm length you should be just depends. Um, but it does affect the fit. Exactly. And getting fit can be very valuable in trying to figure that out. Yeah. We can definitely tell you, you know, one thing we always do is like we give everybody 30 days to feel out the fit on the road, you know, get at least eight to 10 rides on the bike. And if something's not jiving, we bring you back in and, and tweak it because fitting indoors on a trainer and not moving is an imperfect system. Uh, so like you get to ride it out on the road and come back in. But sometimes we'll have like, I had a guy last week who we like, because I don't I don't, I don't have a bunch of stuff to sell you. I just fit bikes. Like, so, um, if we run into a problem where we don't have a part that we need, then we get you to buy it. And then we book you to come back in to finish things up. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if you happen to come in and need shorter crank arms or it's a suggested thing, then, You'll just go get a new crank and you'll come back in later to finish up. Mm-hmm. And there are, as uh, just as far as more specifically to our fitting process, you do have stems of different sizes and yeah. angles that you will use. I've got things to try. To test out. To see if, it, if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then generally I'll say, you know, just get this same spec and then give me that stem back. Yeah. Um, so I you actually are left will with let the bike fit in the proper position. Yeah. You can go ride it. You can mess with it while you get a new stem, uh, and then 
I don't normally, I don't get a lot of stems back, but you don't? Uh, Start tracking those things. Yeah, it's, I don't even track a ten dollars. <laughs> so stem. what I just got out of this was, if you want a free stem, <laughs> yeah. It's included. Yeah, if you want. Yeah, we just start. We just need to start including the stem uh, price in the fits. Other <laughs> questions? Does anyone have any? Uh, we did have a question. I know uh, Logan uh, asked about um, fitting a mountain bike, mm. and the answer to that question is yes. We can fit mountain bikes. It gets trickier as the tires get bigger. Basically, uh, just a standard like twenty nine or two point two. Uh, those will generally fit on a trainer. Uh, sometimes we have to deflate some of the air out of the tires, but if you get much beyond that, um, it gets more difficult to do and, um, deflating the tires doesn't always, uh, we, we can't put as much pressure on the pedals. So, um, like if you have a mountain bike and you have a direct drive trainer, you can always bring in your direct drive trainer, uh, and we can, we can fit you that way as well. Cool. Everyone, last chance. Any other questions? Going once. I guess there is like a 30 second delay. Yeah, there's there a delay, Bryant. So. <laughs> going once, going twice. You have 30 seconds. <laughs> you, let's go ahead and start closing. And uh, Yeah, so, um, you know, if you have any questions, again, you can always email us info at buildpeakcompete.com like those are we'll answer questions all day long like we'll collect them and answer them on the on the podcast so any listener questions send them in info info at buildpeakcompete.com and uh and yeah we'll answer them and if there's other topics you guys want us to cover uh if you've made it to the end here uh (laughs) it gets really tough to keep thinking up stuff every week you know Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh uh, here's a question. Where are we? We are on uh, the couch at BPC Remote yeah. World Headquarters <laughs> in Germantown, Tennessee. Germantown. Germantown, Tennessee is where all the bike fits happen. So if, you, uh, if you're wanting to get booked for a bike fit, this is where the spot is. And again, you can go to that bpc.setmore.com, which is in the comments here. Um, in order to select times and uh, see prices and stuff like that. Yeah, and if you book one, uh, you'll get a follow up pretty quickly about uh, like the the location and where um, like what you need to bring and all that kind of stuff. Cool. All right. Thank That's you guys got. for listening, watching, being a part of our day. Make sure you go if you want to win that uh, that free entry. Make sure you like, share, give us an iTunes ratings, and uh, you will be entered to win. Five stars gets five entries. That's right. Or opportunities. It's true. Opportunities to win. All, all right, right guys. Crew, that's all we got. See you guys next week. Peace. Adios.